You are listening to the Sermon Podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. As you know, we as a church are going through 2 Corinthians. We see this theme of strength through weakness as we work through the book. And right now, we're kind of camped out in two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, which, praise God, are all about giving money away, right? It's your favorite chapters in Scripture. I know, I know. Uh, so we're, we're, I told you we're going to get it done in three sermons. You're welcome. And, and this is the third of those sermons. Uh, and also the most awkward. But nonetheless, here we go. So the, the two weeks ago we started out and I got the privilege and pleasure of speaking about our heart. Because remember, it's all about our heart. If the heart's resolved, we're good. If not, we're in trouble. So we started there. Then last week, Pastor Jared, once again, great preacher, talked about the blessing that we receive by living a life of generosity. And those two were really, really, really fun to preach. And now we're to this week. And this week is all about a plan. So my, my promise to you is this. This will be awkward, uncomfortable, and practical. Okay, so that's what I'm shooting for. If I get those in, I feel really, really good. Okay, but what I need you to do as we get into very practical stuff today, uh, I need you to remember the last two weeks. If you haven't heard them, you got to go listen to those. It's all about those weeks first. Because if, if the goal is to get you to open your hand and release money before you've opened your heart, we're dead. It's futile. It's such a waste of time. I need your heart to be full of Jesus in his kingdom and his gospel and the mission and the Holy Spirit and sanctification and discipleship. If your heart's full of that, it's, I am going to today help you do what you already want to do. But if. If your heart is full of the stuff of this world, of the American dream with a little sprinkle of Christianity on top, then I'm telling you, uh, trying to get you to give is futile and, and today just won't, won't click for you very well. Uh, and I'm sorry about that. So if anything, what I want to do is to sell you on Jesus. And that your heart is on fire for Jesus. And if so, giving will work itself out. Okay. Now, that said, we get into this week, and this week is about having a plan. And here's what I want you to hear. Giving is a part of discipleship, and discipleship requires planning. Giving is a part of discipleship, and discipleship requires planning. Therefore, giving requires a plan. So let's get in. Uh, There's no way on any of these three weeks we could cover all of both chapters, right? So here's where I'm going to land today. I'm going to mainly be in chapters 8, verses 3 to 7, and then jumping ahead to chapter 9, verse 7. And here's what we read there. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, 
And in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Then down to chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Now, I underlined some things there. You see toward the top, uh, it says they begged us for the favor. Think about something recently that you have begged for. Was it the opportunity to give money away? I'm going to venture probably not, right? Probably not. But that's, they begged, which means they were not just sitting back reactively waiting for requests to come to them, but they were, if no one came to them, they went to people. They had a proactive intention as disciples to give money because it was part of discipleship. So they went looking for it. Proactive plan. Then you, you see in, Verse 7, chapter 8, verse 7. That's where Paul says that they excelled, intentionally excelled, in all these other areas of discipleship, right? And so he's saying, will you excel in the discipline of giving too? Now, think about other areas of Christian discipleship. Bible reading, prayer, fellowship, outreach, Right? Listen, if you don't have a plan for your discipleship growth, it won't happen. Gravity takes over and just sucks everything down. You have to have a plan for your sanctification and discipleship to push things up. You have to, right? I mean, it's that old adage that nobody plans to fail. They just fail to plan. You've heard that, right? Nobody plans to fail. They just fail to plan. So if you want to grow as a disciple in Bible reading and prayer, you must have a plan. If you want to grow as a disciple in outreach and fellowship, you must have a plan. What about giving? And what Paul's saying here is as disciples, you intentionally grow in those other areas. What about giving? What's your plan? See, understand, discipleship to Jesus requires planning. Note this. Consumer Christianity does not require a plan. Cultural Christianity does not require a plan. Comfortable Christianity does not require a plan. But discipleship requires planning and giving is part of discipleship. And so when you jump down to chapter 9, verse 7, he says, each of one must give as he has decided in his heart. Which means they decided ahead of time. They had a, an idea, a proactive plan, and then they followed through. Okay? It's very simple. Make a plan. Do your plan. That's, make your plan. Do it. Right? Most Christians lack a significant, a solid plan of discipleship for their giving. And then they're wildly surprised that they don't give very much. It, it, they go to, it's not very surprising, right? So when we talk about a plan, let, let me be clear. A plan is intentional. It's strategic. It's thoughtful. It's consistent. Those are plan words. A plan is not the second line. Random. Emotional. Sporadic. Those are not plan words. Now think of your giving. Does it go in the top line or the bottom? And for a lot of Christians, it falls on the bottom line. And so what people do a lot of times is they impulse give. 
right? Impulse buying. You don't have a plan and you just buy whatever's in the checkout aisle at Target, right? Impulse. Most Christians impulse give. It's random, it's emotional, and it's sporadic. And then what we do is we think we're generous. And the reason why is because we held on to that one time when. I mean, honey, you remember when we went to that one uh, uh, auction, you know, that, that silent auction, and they showed those pictures of those adorable poor kids overseas. And our hearts were so moved, so we bought lots of stuff. Right? And yeah, we got accolades and thanks for that. And yeah, it was 10 years ago. But because we did that, we know we're generous. Do you feel that? That's the second line there. That's the second line. What is your plan for faithful discipleship giving this week, next week, the week after, next month, next year? What's your plan? That's top line. See that? So what I want to do, again, I want to make it very awkward and uncomfortable, but it's going to be very practical. We're going to be very practical today, and we're going to answer some questions. Like the first question is, what do you give? And the answer is money. Some of these are easy, okay? Some of these are easy, okay? You give money. Now, uh, in the Old Testament, they gave crops and livestock. I just want to know, we ain't Old Testament, we're New Testament time, okay? Don't be doing that. Uh, in the New Testament, they gave money. So Paul is doing a collection and they were, they were putting in money to be sent to Jerusalem. Now there was a time in our history at a, as a church before we were on this property location, we were meeting up at a place called the block. And, uh, y'all know I like bacon, right? I think everybody knows I like bacon. Well, so somebody made, uh, like this candied maple bacon godly creation thing. It was, and, and what they did is they wrapped it up. And back in that day, we used to pass the plates for the offering. And they put a note for Pastor Rick, put it in the offering. The deacons came to me after the service. They're like, we don't know what to do with this. I'm like, I do. <laughs> Get in my belly, right? Like, so I know what to do with that. Give me that, right? Don't do that. Okay, like, we're not giving livestock. That's bacon, right? Like, we're, no, it's, uh, we give money, okay, in today's day and age. All right, so that one's easy. Next question is probably less fun for you. How much? And I'm going to say 10%. I told you, awkward and uncomfortable, baby. Um, All right, 10%. Here's the thing. I'm going to suggest 10%. It's an important word. Why? Because if you look in the passage, Paul specifically says in chapter 8, verse 8, this is not a command. Then in chapter 9, verse 5, he says, this is not an exaction. We're not going to exact this from you. And then in chapter 9, verse 7, he says, he he doesn't want them to give under compulsion. It's not a command. Okay, so I'm suggesting 10%. Where'd 10% come from? Well, if you've heard the word tithe or tithing, the tithe literally means tenth. It's an Old Testament term, uh, and they used to give a tithe, a tenth, 10%. Here's the thing. Let's be honest. Tithe is not a New Testament concept. It's only mentioned once in the New Testament, and it's when Jesus is making fun of the Pharisees. That's, that's it. And here we are, two whole chapters about giving, no mention of the tithe. Interesting, right? It, it, in some ways, it's not in there. Now, before you get too excited, (laughs) um, instead what Paul does is he gives two examples, the Macedonians and Jesus, both of whom gave way more than a tithe. 
You feel that? And, and honestly, as we move into the new covenant era, I think it makes sense. Here's the deal. We have the incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit given to the church, which gave birth to the church. We have a completed revelation from God. We have the scriptures, all 66 books now. We have grace. We have salvation. We have eternity in view. We have the kingdom of Christ. We have the gospel in our hands. We have the mission to take it around the world. So now we give less. And we spend more on our pleasures. That makes sense, right? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. So it it may be that the reason the tithe is not mentioned in the New Testament is because it's irrelevant in the other direction than what you were probably hoping. It's not that we give less, it's that we give more. So when Shannon and I were in college uh, at different schools, well, we went to school with a guy named Scott. We were all involved in the same college ministry at our various campuses. That's how we knew him. In this college ministry, there was a lot of pressure on graduates to go on staff, go on staff, go on staff. We gave in to the pressure. We went on staff. Scott didn't because Scott wanted to be a medical doctor. Ah, there it is. He just wants money. He doesn't care about the mission of Christ. He just wanted money. Not true. Scott loved Jesus and his gospel. So you know how respected doctors are in our society? He shared the gospel, one hospital bed, one hospital room after another, and people are coming to Christ like crazy. He probably shared the gospel more than I did as a missionary on a college campus to college students, right? What about money, though? He did that for the money, though, right? So Scott got married, his wife, Jennifer, we knew her as well. So Scott and Jennifer, what they did is they decided to keep track with people like Shannon and me. We were supported missionaries, raised our own support, living on a little bit and uh, doing missions on college camp. They kept track with us on how much we earned. They decided to live on the same amount and give the rest. They likely lived on a tenth and, and gave 90%. Do you feel that? That's heart. That's heart. What if it's not 10%? What if it's 100%? That all of it belongs to God. Now, my job is to be a good manager of that which is his. All of it is his. I'm to be a good steward. Note this, God loves his children. And so when you enjoy life with the money he's given to you, that's okay. It's not a bad thing. But at the same time, I'm also on a kingdom mission to try to bless the mission of Christ generously. I'm going to sacrifice to advance the gospel mission. I'm trying to maximize my giving, not my having. Like the Macedonians, like Jesus, like Scott. That's discipleship. So to help you feel that a little bit, let's say you find out you're going to get a raise. Now, as soon as that happens, you already have that money spent on your pleasures, right? Like you haven't even gotten the first increased paycheck. And you're like, boat, right? <laughs> like you got to figure it out, right? I, I get that. Okay, listen, maybe God gave you that raise to increase the kingdom, not to increase your consumption. I don't know. But seriously, as disciples, shouldn't we at least ask that question? That's a discipleship question. Okay, so 
Uh, it's not resoundingly clear from the New Testament that 10%. I, I'm suggesting 10%. Why? Because, remember this, giving is part of discipleship, and discipleship requires planning. It's really hard to plan your giving if you don't have a target amount. And so what we often start out doing is, oh, I'll just wing it. And so what you do is you throw in 20 bucks every time you come to church, right? Those 25 times a year. So, um, yeah, about half the time. Okay, I know about you sinners, okay? Right? It's okay. I know. I know. Right? So let's just assume for the sake of argument, you come to church 50 out of 52 weeks each year. You throw in 20 bucks. You've given $1,000 and you feel really generous. Wonderful. I'm glad for your giving. Thank you. But also do the math. You just gave a tithe if your annual income is $10,000. That's not Macedonian. That ain't even Corinthian. Okay, right? Like, just, just know that, right? The average Christian gives around 2%. That's of regular church-going Christians. Maybe, just maybe we're lacking a discipleship plan, right? And so what you see in chapter 8, verse 3, it says they gave according to their means and beyond. The beyond part was the part that Paul didn't even ask for. They begged him. It was an extra move of God, grace, out of their poverty they gave. It was amazing. But notice they gave according to their means, which means it's scaled with their ability. With their income, that almost sounds like a, um, what's the word? Percentage. That's a percentage. And if you go with 10, that's a tithe, right? So that's what's going on. Now, I admit there's no command in the New Testament towards a tithe, but there is biblical precedent. And what's clever about it is that it scales according to your income. If you make more, you give more. If you make less, you give less. What if instead God did it this way? In order to be a faithful, generous disciple, you need to give $50,000 a year. That's out of reach for the vast majority of us. The cool thing is God didn't do it that way. He put faithfulness and generosity in reach of all of us by doing it so that it gives according to our means. It's scalable. That means 10% is attainable. That'd be my suggestion, but it is not a law. Why? Well, because remember, it's about your heart. And it is a fool's errand for a pastor to try to get people to give from their wallet before they've given their heart fully to Jesus. It just won't work. And so I don't want to go with duty and guilt and obligation. Instead, the goal is to move your heart first and then you release the funds. That's what we want to do. Personally, I'd rather just spend a lot of effort trying to crank out Macedonians and then let the giving take care of itself. And that's what we're seeing going on. So so then you know what giving feels like? Remember in chapters 8 and 9, there's no mention of tithe. You know what it does mention? Let me give you some of the words. Grace. Uses grace over and over and over. These are people who had received grace. They love to give grace. It's grace. Giving feels like grace. And then there's words like joy. 
love, desire, those words in those chapters, willing, cheerful. The word cheerful literally means hilarious. Giving's hilarious. Only if your heart's there, baby. But giving's hilarious. And so they were begging Paul earnestly for the favor of taking part in giving. So that's how I get to my suggestion of 10%. Now, next question. When to give? First. Chapter 8, verse 5, says that they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the giving. First to the Lord. So God had their hearts. He was first. And then they gave sacrificially. See, for most of us, what we often do is we give to God last. We give him leftovers. There's two problems with that. Number one, ain't nothing left over. <laughs> I mean, when you come to the end of your pay period, right? Like end of your week, end of your month, whatever. We are so good at spending money. Like we're expert at that, right? And so you come, there's nothing left over. That's probably why we give so little. There's a second problem, though. And the second problem is this. God is never last. God is always first. God is always first. God doesn't want your leftovers. God wants your heart. He wants your faith. He wants to be first. God will never come in second. God will never take a silver medal. God will never have a red ribbon around his chest. He's a blue ribbon kind of God. He's first. And when I give to God first, what I'm doing is I'm aligning my heart to the reality of the universe. God is first. It's a discipleship move. It's a heart issue. The Old Testament called this the first fruits principle. Remember that it was a mostly agrarian society, so they did give crops and livestock and whatever, first fruits. And here you see it in Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. You you give to God, God first. Like God is first in my life. So he gets dibs. He gets first cut. Now, some of you are doing the math right now and you're going, if I give God 10% off the top, holy crap. I don't, I don't know. I don't, yeah, well, listen, here's the deal. It's almost like, it's almost like we're being disciples and we're living off a whole different set of values and priorities and we live different from the world. It's almost like that. It's exactly what it is. We're disciples and the kingdom mission is on our hearts. We give to God first. I told you, awkward, uncomfortable, practical. That's what I'm shooting for. I think I'm doing it. Okay. Where to give? Church. Feels like it just got more awkward. So where to give church? First, I want to broaden my answer before I explain that one. Uh, Where where do you give? There's New New Testament precedent for the fact that we give to gospel causes, gospel ministry, proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. That's what we give to. And so churches would give gifts to Paul to support his missionary endeavors to spread the gospel of Jesus to new cities and to plant churches. 
Yes, we give to that. But note this. There are other charities out there in the world, and they're good things. I'm not saying they're bad. They're good things, and you can give to them. But that is not a part of your discipleship giving plan. Note that the children of this world will give to those other good things. They won't give to the gospel mission. Giving to the gospel mission is the particular privilege and responsibility of disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we do first. You can give to other things too, but we don't miss out on that, okay? So that's in the New Testament. Another thing that's in there, according to these two chapters, caring for the extreme needs of destitute Christians. Remember, this is all about raising money for starving Christians in Jerusalem. But note that it's taking care of needs, not wants. One of the ways you see that in the very chapter, you probably missed it. Remember, Paul called the Macedonians, said they were extremely poor, but he wasn't raising money from the Corinthians for the Macedonians because they had enough to eat. It was taking care of extreme needs. This wasn't socialism and redistribution of wealth. It wasn't that. It was taking care of extreme needs. A third thing that we see broadly in the scriptures, uh, and specifically in these chapters, is an issue of accountability. We give where there is accountability. And I'll be honest with you, in 30 years of ministry, thankfully not here at Redemption, but I've seen a lot of waste, and I've seen a low level of accountability in Christian ministry at times. Uh, And I I pray God keeps us from that right here. Because what you see, if you look in chapter 8, verses 19 through 23, again, go reread the chapters this week, today, this afternoon. But what you see is a high level of accountability. So what happened is, as Paul raised this money from various churches, a lot of the churches would send a lay member of their congregation along with their gift and accompanied it all along, all the way till it was delivered to Jerusalem. Why? Because now we can say the money is going where we said it would go, not into Paul's pocket. And that was a big deal. Because the gospel reputation was attached to the Apostle Paul. And if Apostle Paul is living large off this and not putting the money where it should go, that hurts the gospel. An example we have from our history is when the rumor started in Stowe that that huge house next door is mine. Do you remember this? And so, so we did a post on social media of me in front of my house. Now, my house is in Kent, It was built in the 50s. It's 1,250 whopping square feet of a ranch. And so we lived in this house for 23 years in Runnendale. And so a picture of me out in front of the house going, here's my house. So people took that, like cropped the house out. There's me, put me in front of like the Disney Magic Kingdom thing, the White House, the International Space Station. That was my fave, right? Like... My goodness. Accountability is important. Uh, And so I want you to know at your church, there's things we do for accountability. Uh, One of the things is the the budget is approved by the elders. Now, the elders, with the exception of me, the elders are nine members of the lay congregation. So there's oversight. They approve the budget, including the salaries. They approve it. And then the pastors, we don't touch the money. If our director of operations, if Angela dies, I don't even know what bank we use. I don't, I like, 
like I, we just don't touch. I submit receipts and justify any expenses just like every other staff member. Okay. Then we have an independent audit regularly from an external accounting firm and we pass it with flying colors every time. It's important. Accountability matters. Matters. So there are uh, three things evidenced throughout the New Testament. Giving to gospel causes, uh, giving to the extreme needs of Christians, and then thirdly, accountability. But I said church. So let me tell you how I get there. Because there's tons of evidence in the New Testament that giving was to and through the local church for a couple reasons. Number one, it checks the first three boxes, right? And particularly accountability, you think about it, when you give to your local church. So if I'm living high off the hog and no ministry's getting done around here, you're sitting there going, what are they doing with the money? Because you can see it, right? When it's in some far distant land, you don't know. So, so there is accountability built into that. It checks the first three boxes. But then there is evidence uh, in the New Testament. So I told you before that at first, there's really no church. Paul is spreading the gospel, planting churches. They have no concept of giving to the church. So at first, the giving was to a relief effort for this famine in Jerusalem. But as the church grew and progressed... They hired pastors, and there's evidence, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, of giving to pastors. So a church budget starts to develop, and people would support their church. But not only that, it looks like giving was often to and through the church. So as you look in these chapters, chapters 8 and 9, Paul is raising money for this relief effort in Jerusalem, he doesn't appeal to individual Christians to give him money individually. No, he appeals to them to give money to their church. Then the church gave the money to Paul. And you see, there's accountability built into that. It can protect from a lot of waste when that happens. And then a a fourth reason I'll give you is just common sense. Give where you're fed. And I don't mean donuts, though those cost money too, okay? Make no mistake. But I mean where you are spiritually fed. So some people are like, well, I just want all my money to go to mission, so I'm just going to write it independently. Uh, I don't want my money going to sealing the parking lot. And yet you park here, right? Like you park your car here. You learn here. You grow here. You fellowship here. You worship here. There's no membership dues. We don't charge admission at the door. It's all done by the voluntary giving of disciples whose hearts have been changed by Jesus. That's how it happens. Now, I said church, but if you look up there closely, does it say exclusively church? Does it say only church? Nope. So can you give elsewhere? Yes. Absolutely yes. But keep your categories straight. So, do not think that when you purchase private education for your child, that that's part of your giving. That's not. That's part of your purchasing. You're purchasing something for your child. Okay? Is that a good thing? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good thing. But but don't put that in the giving. You got to keep your categories straight. So, no, it doesn't have to all go to your church. Or here's another question. Can you go out and buy uh, meals for people at a restaurant? Or, or 
coffee for somebody in the line at Starbucks. Well, sure, what a blast, right? Go have fun. If that's how you want to spend your money, go have fun doing it. Just know this, that is not the discipleship giving plan envisioned by the New Testament. Folks, if they're sitting at a restaurant, it's probably likely they're not destitute. If they're in line to buy overpriced coffee, chances are they're not destitute. Chances are, right? It's not gospel mission. It's not accountability. It's not local church. It's missing a lot of the boxes. There's nothing wrong with it. And if that's what you want to do also with your money, okay. But that's not a discipleship giving plan. That's the sporadic. That's the emotional, right? Occasional stuff. Another question. Can you give directly to a Christian missionary? Absolutely. We do. Shane and I do, sure. But that's not in lieu of your giving to your church. What I'm suggesting is that you give 10% to the kingdom gospel mission I would recommend that the lion's share of that, at least half your giving, is to your local church. And by the way, I told you, Shannon and I started out in ministry. We were raising our own. Some people supported us directly as missionaries. That was our position then. That's our position now. We've not changed. We we said back then, give to your church first. So absolutely, you can give to missionaries. Hope you do. Hope you do. So this was fun. So uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, it's been practical and helpful. I, I want to keep being practical as we get toward the end here. Remember, giving is part of discipleship, and discipleship requires planning. So here's chapter 9, verse 7, again, in its entirety. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, Not reluctantly, nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So it's very simple. Make a plan, do it. Two steps there. Make a plan, and then do it. So one of of the things that you might have to realize there is, is that God loves a cheerful giver. So he doesn't love a cheerful talker. He doesn't love a cheerful planner. He loves a cheerful giver. So make a plan and follow through. One of the first things you're probably going to need to do is some math today and figure out how much on average your percentage is your giving. Reality is your friend, right? So go figure it out. Might be sobering, but you need to know the truth. And then what I want you to do is decide where you want your giving level to be. I made a suggestion. You got to figure it out with the Holy Spirit, wisdom and all that. So you decide where do you want it to be and then make a plan. Can you walk it up 2% per year till you get there? That almost sounds like a plan. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's a make a plan, right? Now, Shannon and I will tell you what we do. We give 10% of our gross income to the kingdom. Roughly 75% of that goes to Redemption Chapel. And the other 25% we give to missionaries and gospel causes and things like that. Typically, it's not really cool to talk about your giving. The reason I did so is because I want you to know clearly, I will not ask you to do something I don't do myself. I will practice what I preach. I don't get a pass as a pastor. You know why? Jesus has my heart, and I'm in. I'm in. 
So I practice what I preach, right? You're going to have to do you. You got to figure it out. Where are you now? Where do you want to be? What's your plan to get from A to Z? Make a discipleship giving plan. And then do it. When my kids were growing up, I always would say to them, two frogs on a log. Two frogs on a log. They knew exactly what I was saying right away. It goes this way. Two frogs are on a log. One decides to jump off. How many frogs on the log? Two. I didn't say anyone jumped. One talked a game. One decided. One, But one, nobody jumped. Two frogs are still on the log, right? They understood the point every time. God loves a cheerful giver, not a cheerful talker. Right? So make a plan and follow through. You might need to do automatic giving. That's extra credit, right? If you want, like, set it, that's what we do. We do it automatically, electronically. Now, if nothing else, here's what I'm really asking you to do. Pray about it. Pray about it. And then do as God leads you to do. But don't play ventriloquist with God where you put your words in his mouth. Like, I think God really wants me to have a boat, right? Like, no, don't, like, don't play that game with God, right? Don't fool yourself into thinking that you can hold out in this area and be okay in your discipleship. That's not a thing. God cares about your heart. God wants your heart. And it is possible that nothing will reveal your heart quite like your giving does. God wants your heart. Here's the good news. Real cool thing. The church in Corinth stepped up. They they did. So in Romans 15, 26 to 27, it talks about the gift being delivered to Jerusalem. When it does, it says that Macedonia stepped up, but so did Achaia. Achaia is where Corinth is. If that dumpster fire of a church can get there, so can we. So can we. It's not perfection, it's progress and sanctification and discipleship over time. So get your heart right, make a plan, two frogs on a log, all right? Let me pray for you, little froggies, all right? Father, we absolutely love you, we adore you, we are so grateful for grace that we you have given to us what we do not deserve our salvation, our eternity, to be a part of this family of faith. Oh, Lord, thank you for your grace. And Lord, we want our hearts to change so that we're not deceived by the culture around us and and materialism and stuff, but we love you, we love your kingdom, we love your gospel, and we just can't wait to give more. God, would you please lead us to be hilarious givers? And I pray in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.